we're in the age of customer experience being the critical way that consumers judge interactions with businesses and and really placing a priority on making that experience as as um, powerful as it can be. Hey there, James here, and you're listening to the Own the Moment podcast, the show where we explore the complex and always evolving landscape of marketing, advertising, and branding, and try to get to the bottom of what it means to be a truly memorable brand. The On The Moment podcast is brought to you by Como Technologies, a self-service, complete customer engagement platform that helps you cut through the noise to truly connect with your customers and retain and grow those connections over time. With Como, you can build and deploy new campaigns, activations, promotions, and programs in days, not months. And our software is used by some of the world's biggest consumer brands from Heineken to Budget, Goodman Fielder, Foxtel, JLL, Williams Racing, and McDonald's. Learn more at como.tech. Today's guest is Simon McCrudden, a partner at Accelo, an agency that builds for what they call the experience era, boasting a client list including McDonald's, TikTok, and Netflix. Named by the Australian Financial Review as one of the 100 fastest growing companies in the country, Simon and their team have their finger on the pulse of pop culture and how brands can leverage it to earn attention. Simon and his team's entire thesis is that building compelling experiences at every touchpoint along a customer journey is now table stakes for earning and winning customer attention and love. Now, if that sounded like a bunch of corporate marketing babble, keep listening, because during this episode, we'll discuss how Virgin turned the absolute worst part of flying into a memorable experience and what Fred Again's boiler room set means for brands. We had a fascinating discussion about the attention economy, why it's getting harder for brands to cut through the noise, and why Simon believes brands should spend more time trying to find their unique voice, not finding great advertising. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. Let's get to the show. Simon McCrudden, thanks so much for being on the show. Thanks for having me, James. Great. So, um, Simon, I found this quote from you, which I just want to read to you. Brands have so many opportunities to build deep connections with consumers, but it has never been harder to create a memorable, lasting impact with them. Could you unpack that for me? Why is it getting harder? Yeah, okay. This is the problem with putting pen to paper and leaving quotes in the world to be found, isn't it? (laughs) It's quite good you found that one, though. Um, I guess there's an obvious point about the attention economy and the sheer volume of content that people can look at and the myriad of ways that 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 content can be screened out. So I think at a very base level, that's why it's harder. But I think underneath that, there's a few other reasons. In order to create those memorable and lasting impacts requires originality and creativity. uh, And those things Mm. require time. And, you know, time is critical to develop the ideas and activations that are going to cut through. But sadly, we live in a in a very fast-paced world, which often prioritizes task completion over impact. So I think that affects um, the ability to have that memorable lasting impact. I think secondly, we've probably possibly become a bit too lost in the world in the minutiae of kind of niche channels, targeted messaging. And I think we've lost sight of how bigger impact work can bring people of all backgrounds together. Um, I think when you think of films or, you know, like the Marvel franchises or, you know, musicians like Taylor Swift, for example, You know, these are kind of entertainment properties that may be preferred by a particular niche or generation, but are actually have broad universal appeal. And I think good comms do that too. But we have possibly lost sight because of the weeds of segmentation and niche audiences. And I think finally, um, you know, the reason why it's, it's harder to create those memorable impacts is that 
oftentimes brands try to reflect audiences too much rather than trying to find their own unique voice. And I think the danger of that is if all you're doing is reflecting the audience that you're seeking to engage, everyone else is doing that as well. So it's harder then to be distinct and become memorable and have an impact with audiences. That's really interesting. I want to sort of dig into that last point a little bit, reflecting audiences. Could you go a little bit deeper? So, you know, what does it mean to not try to reflect the audience, but rather find your authentic voice? Find your own voice. Yeah. I think um, we often talk about brands as people and we have to give them personalities and values and tone of voice. But I think if you follow that logic through, the best people that we know and, you know, you're the friends that you love and the friends that I love, they don't tend to be people that will change who they are dependent on who they're talking to, right? They have a very strong sense of self, a strong sense of authenticity. They know what they believe. They know what they stand in. And they're not chasing after um, appealing to whoever they're talking to at that moment. And I think the same applies to really, really good brands. So, and I know it's a very overused brand, but You look at Nike, for example, and and Nike has talked about how they found they didn't discover good advertising. They found the power of their own voice. And that voice is hugely appealing to lots of people. And sure, they might executionally do things that are going to appeal to certain audiences. But, you know, Nike can talk to an 80 year old golfer, you know, white upper class golfer, and it can talk to a 14 year old um, kid living in a council estate. And they're still true to who they are. I think there is a slight danger sometimes if, if it's just about say a brand wants to reinvent itself and and bring new people into it. And they go, right, we, we need to talk to people who are in their 20s. Mm-hmm. And they can. the temptation is to suddenly rush to, let, well, let's kind of show that we get what's cool about being in your 20s or <laughs> let's use a soundtrack for the ad that is something that this audience likes. That's a very short-term answer and I think it's the wrong answer mm-hmm. because I think they need to have a sense of who are they, what do they care about, and then almost kind of trust that there are going to be a group of people that share those values as well. And mm-hmm. I think that's what that gives you then is a brand that is much more substantial and much more likely to last into the long term. Yeah, that's fascinating. And I think that Nike point is like, it's so obvious once you've said it. Yeah, the power in that their message really stays the same, no matter who they're talking to. So what do you make of just on that point of finding new audiences and maybe sort of, uh, you know, trying to sort of keep up with societal trends? So what do you make of the Bud Light controversy over the last month or so? Oh, yeah, that is a good question and not one I was expecting you to ask me. It's hard, this stuff. I think that big brands have a responsibility to be inclusive and demonstrate that they are inclusive. Mm. And uh, I think also holds, you know, uh, unless they've done something particularly offensive or wrong, I think they, they need to kind of stand behind what the decisions that they've made. I think there's a very purist approach to that question around, well, who is your target audience? And actually, are the marketing team out of touch with their target audience? Right. Um, I don't know enough about Bud Light's position in the market and all of those things to be able to answer that. Um, I applaud their intent to demonstrate modernity, show that actually, you know, the world of of drinking beer is no longer the kind of the cliche world that some people might think it is. But I think, I mean, let's be honest, the whole thing was just handled terribly, right? Mm, mm. Whether they were right to do that or not, the fallout from it and how it was handled and all of the the vitriol that followed was really not good. Mm. And, And I think you know, there's a, there's a responsibility to having made that decision to kind of really stand behind it and show support and show commitment to it. And I think they probably didn't react necessarily that well to that. 
I am very conscious of giving a, an overly kind of political tap dance answer, but I think I think it's almost too easy in some of these cases to say, oh, it's either good or it was bad. And I think it's it, that you know it's grey, it's not black and white. Yeah, yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. So, so going back to that original quote, you know, you say brands have so many opportunities to build deep connections with consumers. What do you what do you mean by that? You know, what you know, what are these opportunities, and are you know, are brands missing them? Yeah, I mean, I think I think they often are. I mean, there's there's obviously there's opportunities just from the sheer volume of possible touch points a brand can have. And I think, you know, when you look at the entire experience that your brand offers, I, I think there are so many really great ways, so multiple ways that you can inject memorable and powerful brand moments within that. Um, like I really love, uh, we didn't do this, but I, I really love the um, the Virgin Australia middle seat lottery idea because um, who would have thought that a, having a middle seat on a plane could be a chance to create a positive impact and a memorable moment. And um, what I like about that is, is when there's a depth of thinking around what is the entire experience we offer? What are some of those pain points? And then how can we have a really interesting brand moment in that? Not just solve it from a customer pain point of view, but actually turn it into something that says something about who we are as a brand. For those that aren't aware, could you just sort of unpack, you know, what is the um, the Virgin um, Middle Seat Lottery? And yeah. Yeah. So, so they've got a new brand platform around uh, Wonderful. I mean, we could debate for days whether that's actually true and believable or not. I fly on Virgin Australia a lot, so I've, you know, I'm not entirely sure it is. Um, but I guess <laughs> one of the manifestations of that platform was for them to look at, well, what are those experiences within Virgin that maybe are not as wonderful as we'd like them to be and how can we make them more wonderful? And I think that intent is fantastic. And the middle seat lottery was basically if you end up flying in a middle seat and no one wants the middle seat you're either an aisle or a window person if you end up having to fly in the middle seat then your details get entered into a lottery to win a prize and so it's trying to bring that moment of wonderful and joy to what is otherwise a pretty crap experience and so what i really like about that is they've, they've actually gone down to the level of detail of going right once people are on the plane what is not wonderful about this and then they've turned that moment into something that's a real uh, a brand promise moment so i think it's great and, and i mean yeah the name of this podcast is of course own the moment and and that's really sort of the the yeah the core thesis of 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 that whole platform is really that right there are these moments which brands let slip by and so i think that's a, it's a fantastic example of that yeah and i think i think it's yeah i, th- I think that own the idea of owning the moment is is such a good one i, I think there is a slight uh, it's a balance right because what you don't want is for every single moment mm to have some brand message rammed down your throat. <laughs> right, because, right. Because, you know, there are times when I'm using, you know, if I'm using a, a bank app, I just want to know how much money I've got in my account for the next week. I don't need some brand message kind of getting in the way of that. So that I think there are times when, times when functionally, you might go just stay well clear rather than ramming it down my throat. But there's other times when there's actually all of these opportunities to do something at a brand level that are missed. Um, and that's what I think is interesting. You can take a holistic view of the entire brand experience, then that opens up those opportunities. Yeah. And I think that for me, the the, the Virgin Lottery, it, it's like there's a, yeah, right. It, it's sort of born of a very clear uh, and concise insight. Mm. Um, and then I think it's sort of, right, there's that, it, it feels creative and sort of memorable like you know for all the you know it's sort of quite a basic idea but but I think there's something about the sort of cleverness of the creativity there and so uh, you know going back to another uh, of your quotes that you've left behind you um, online you say that you know you believe creativity has the power to transform business and lives Um, 
you know, so what, what do you mean by that? Yeah. I mean, it's a belief that's a much, it's a much bigger belief than the world of, you know, advertising or, or marketing. I think, you know, it's about how creativity and lateral thinking can underpin transformation in, and looking at the world differently in all sorts of ways. And I think for me, at least that's why, at least for now, AI isn't going to replace humans or, or, or take away everything that humans can do because at the moment, really only humans, as far as I know, have the ability to offer those weird, odd, different ways of looking at situations. You look at some of, you know, some of the imagery that comes out of mid journey and it's, it's amazing. Like it just looks fantastic. But, you know, when you think about great moments in art where new art movements have been formed, it's not, it's, it's kind of almost a rejection of what's gone before and a very individualized, different way of looking at the world that has formed that. And so I think that that creativity in that sense has the power to transform business lives because it offers a very different way of looking at the world that can force dramatic change in a good way. I think there is something though, I think, and I think, again, I don't know if this is controversial or not. I don't, I don't really know, but I think there's a, you know, that kind of modern trend of saying everyone's creative. Well, that I think it's I think it's true to a degree in that you know everyone can play the guitar, but we can't all be Jimi Hendrix. So I think everyone can be creative and have creative thoughts and ideas, but but I think it is a very specialist skill to really hone in on that lateral thought that can make the leaps. And not all of us can do that. I mean, I I'm not particularly good at doing that, and uh, lots of other people aren't. And so I think we need to kind of you know, celebrate and, and acknowledge that there is there is an individual element to creativity and, and disruption and transformation. And if you want to do something different that can transform lives, you need to embrace the fact that it is often, you know, it requires risk and uncertainty because it is about newness and, and things that haven't been done before. Yeah. And I think, I mean, that I think that's where I guess a couple of months on from chat GPT and mid journey launching and all of that. I think that's where I fall on this as well, which is that, you know, I think if anything, this just makes right the Hendrixes of marketing and creativity and advertising just more valuable because, you know, you know, right there, you know, there's, it's very impressive. Mm. And, you know, it's not to say that, you know, even just internally here, right. You know, chat GPT is, you know, can be great for, you know, sort of, you know, fixing grammar and yeah tightening up paragraph but but right i mean i think you know and look maybe this looks very silly in five years i don't know but right to think that it's going to come up with the next you know think different or mac versus pc or well, look i you know i don't see it but i, I also think I, mean, I, I asked i asked chat it was for a, a pitch that we were working on to write a um to write a children's book around uh where the the evil villain was poor sleep and the hero was you know this brand that we we're working on and um, th- those are the only parameters I gave. And the children's book was was great. It followed all of the normal constructs of a children's book and storytelling. You can imagine reading it to a child and they'd be interested. But every, the hero and the villain were both male. And and I hadn't I hadn't said that they were a particular gender in my instructions. But they that's what it fed back. And so I think AI builds on the biases that humanity have given it already or the mo- what's the most generic kind of response and it builds those in. Whereas I think true creative thinking is able to kind of step outside of that and just look at the world in a very, very different way. Yeah, I think that's right. I think it's like, you know, all of the great shifts or I guess step changes in, you know, whether it's marketing, advertising or just pop culture, I guess is sort of right. They sort of, they often are, yeah, these right turns, which look, you know, maybe, 
Maybe AI gets there, maybe it doesn't. I want to move on, Simon, to uh, you and your work. You're a partner at an agency called Axello. Um, and the tagline, I guess, is, you know, building brands for the experience era. You know, what you know, what does that mean? How do you define the experience era? How is it different from before? So what was the era before that and why, why are we in a new era? And can you, I guess, elaborate a bit on the on the thesis? Yeah, sure. So, um, I mean, the experience era, I guess, is refers to the, we're in the age of customer experience being the, the kind of critical way that um, consumers judge interactions with businesses and, and really placing a priority on making that experience as as um, powerful as it can be. I think historically it was maybe, I, d- I don't know, I'm not, I'm, not a, I'm not a history of marketing person, but certainly, you know, certainly a few years ago, it was probably more about less, le- thinking less holistically about the entire kind of experience and environment that you have. There was kind of, you know, the big fancy advertising that a company would do. And then there was, you know, the shop that people would go to to buy the things that, they saw advertised mm-hmm. and so i guess that's one part is is thinking holistically um, i guess inherent in that as well is putting consumers at the the heart of of your thinking uh, within businesses within organizations which is obviously a very good thing to do and mm-hmm. so that's kind of how you know we think about the experience era and the way we think about it when we talk about building brands for the experience era the other part of it is that people don't think in category silos for example, I've, um, I'm a upsider, so I'm with UpBank, and I love the experiences I have with them. It's very playful, it's simple. Um, I feel that on some level they have my interests at heart. They're clearly independent and different to the other banks, and I, I put a lot of value in independence just generally. So so all of that wraps up a really compelling experience for me. But I, I then take that experience to other areas of my life, and I wonder, well, why isn't my food delivery brand like that, or why isn't where I find my media or my news like that. And so the experience here is one where you are judged as a business versus the last great experience that someone had, not just versus your competition. Hmm. That's, I guess, that's the kind of world in which we need to build build a brand. And we've touched, we've touched on this already, but I think just to reiterate, you know, we talk about brand experience. So we're not, we're not customer experience. I mean, we do customer experiences, but that underpinning of brand experience is really critical. So um, you know, we need to deliver great customer experiences. They need to be simple and intuitive and seamless and all those things. But brand experience approach is really to start with the brand and determine what experience do we want people to have with us in any environment? Um, what is unique about the experience that we're going to offer them um, that ties back to the very core of our business? And then having worked that out, you then go, right, so what does that mean for for customer experience? And then ultimately, what does that mean for for UX, for example? Good customer experience has certain principles um, underpinning it, but it can often lead to everything being the same across all brands. But we know from multiple research studies that distinctiveness is the key to business growth. So therefore, we focus on brand experience and starting with the brand. So let's dig into some of the work you've done for brands, you know, just, you know, looking through the website, you, you know, you've done work for McDonald's with the Macca's Monopoly, uh, Netflix, uh, some sort of squid game activation, the starts on TikTok campaign, you know, what do all of these have in common? You know, what, what is it that you guys do? What's the red thread? Yeah, it's, it's funny, isn't it? Because they're on their own, they're all quite different, I guess. I mean, they you know, Monopoly is a game through, through McDonald's, the squid game thing, as you said, was a big activation. TikTok was more of a kind of traditional ad campaign. I guess there's a couple of things that unite them. I mean, they're all they're all in their own ways connected into and born from popular culture. So, you know, Squid Game is probably quite a good example there where 
And that was, you know, one of our kind of social team identifying just how quickly Halloween Squid Game costumes were selling. And then as a team, we we jumped on that and we're like, right, let's, how do we bring that really crazy doll from Squid Game to life in a really massive way in Sydney in a very short space of time? And and the kind of cut through on that was was epic. So that was kind of leaning into what was going on in, in pop culture at the time and making sure that we were there at Halloween in order to do that. Mm. Uh, and, you know, and the, and the TikTok work starts on TikTok is really about, you know, I mean, that brand just defines culture for so many people. So I think all of them are kind of born from what people love and from pop culture, I think is important. Um, and I think it's also about, mm. you know, understanding what experience is appropriate for those brands at different points as well, I think. So that Squid Game experience was um, absolutely about getting it in a very kind of public way. But we also then left all of the little cards, if you remember from the show, they all got left around in mm. Sydney, kind of in the in the day running up to the launch of the thing. You know, we brought in kind of key influencers early to kind of get their content out. Um, there was a very kind of smart PR influencer strategy that sat behind that it wasn't just building a big thing and hoping people would come and you know tiktok starts on tiktok that's a big brand platform that kind of cements them as the place where culture interesting culture starts but it was all about the the kind of the people on the platform and celebrating all of the kind of idiosyncrasies and the unique things that they brought to it as well so i think really kind of delving into what makes those brands special what and what are people going to love when they interact with those experiences is probably the thing that unites them so what sorts of mistakes or missteps do you see brands making when trying to build for, I guess, this new experience era? I think, you know, some brands might fall short where they, you know, they might create great customer experiences that are in their brand colors or tone of voice, but mm. they might, a, a bit to that earlier conversation about a middle seat lottery, they might miss out on the opportunity to create something truly distinctive from an experience point of view. You know, it's almost, you know, in any example, when you're, when you're thinking about a customer experience, it's always kind of good to ask the question, well, you know, how would Nike do this differently if it was their customer experience? Or, you know, how would, you know, any brand that you think is interesting, how would they do it differently? Because, because if you see that they could do it differently, then I think you have to go back and say, well, what does our brand stand for that we're not conveying or we're not bringing across in, in as interesting a way as we could at the moment? I think maybe downplaying the value of brand in the experience era is a, is a real miss for a lot of brands. Just assuming that you customers say they want an easy, seamless experience. So if we do that, that's fine. I think that's a real kind of missed opportunity. And that's a mistake because um, you're missing out on the chance to have something very kind of distinctive and meaningful that your brand stands for um, in that experience space. This is probably the bit where I plug, if you're one of those brands, give me a call. And we can help you with that. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I think I think that's I think that's the mistake. Under maybe undervaluing the role that brands can play um, in in driving growth and driving share. Mm, yeah, there's something in the sort of the you know the old long and short of it piece there. So hey, you know we've obviously just been through COVID. You know we're in an era where you know spending more and more time on our phones and online in general, um, you know, thinking about that squid game activation in the physical world, you know, how do you think about sort of, you know, online versus offline? And I'm curious as to, you know, whether you have any insights there as to, you know, where we're at now. And I guess, you know, maybe moving forward, how should brands think about being present online versus offline? There's obviously the sort of the metaverse thing that, you know, I guess has sort of petered out now, but um, was all the rage over the last couple of years. I mean, how do you think about online versus offline and, and brand? 
Yeah, great question. I, I think, again, you have to take the holistic view, you know, know, know where people are going to be wanting different bits of information interaction. I think, I think you can't have a siloed view either way. I think it's important that, to understand, though, that, you know, people are spending a lot of time digitally, uh, you know, look, you know, watching entertainment, request you know needing information or looking for information but that doesn't mean that the physical environment isn't important i mean at excello we've been really clear from the start that spatial and physical interactions and experiences are critical and as you know as critical and can be as critical as digital and actually they're not even separate right they they merge and they blend in interesting ways because you do an interesting spatial um experience and that has a life beyond that experience online in people's social channels, for example. So, so I think whilst we are more digital, we still live in the physical world. We still interact with human beings. We still get excited by the real stuff. And so I think it's really important for a brand uh, and an agency to be able to take that very holistic view uh, and understand that it's not one or the other. I think sometimes, you know, we know that a number of traditional businesses can lag uh, and they cannot gain the full picture of how people are interacting with them. You know, existing processes that they have internally existing mindset from people that have been there a long time might might lag them kind of catching up with where consumers are digitally i think conversely i think often digital startup brands can be sometimes too siloed in their thinking and see the world purely through a tech startup lens versus understanding that we do still love inherently love things in the physical world I don't know if this um, crossed your radar last year, but, you know, the sort of the, I guess, one of the hottest and, you know, most exciting sort of, you know, DJs right now is this, you know, British guy, Fred again. And he, you know, um, played the classic Boiler Room set last year and it had like, you know, 20, 30 million views on YouTube. And like, it was just sort of, you know, the, the you know, one of the biggest sort of pop culture moments of last year. And I remember watching it and thinking, you know, perhaps one of the reasons people connected so much with that, I mean, apart from the fact that the music's brilliant was you know i think there's something about people saw and um were reminded by just how much in person you know after years of you know artists um you know playing concerts on instagram live and you know that whole thing you know maybe that fred again set reminded people that actually being in a sweaty room with thousands of other people is actually something that we really crave and love and, yeah. and enjoy. So, you know, I, I think, you know, that for, that for me was a really clear takeaway that, yes, you know, that that isn't going away and probably will never go away. Hopefully not anyway. No, I mean, I, I, I hope not too. I mean, I think, I think the excitement, I mean, I'm, I'm too old to know much about Fred again, but I do remember the joy of being in a sweaty club with a thousand people. You know, it's live experience, live experiences are, we love that stuff, right? I mean, it's, it's, you know, the, whether it's the concert or the, you know, the football game or whatever it is, it's, you can't beat that. I, I mean, there's something about just the raw emotion and the raw connection you have in the real world, which I think as humans, we just, we crave that and we love that. I think it's interesting, actually, when you look at a lot of the very best digital brands, so as like a Google, for example, and you look at their advertising, and it is often some of the the most heartfelt and emotional and human work right. out there. You know, it's the it's the story of a grandmother and her granddaughter going to watch a football game again after you know with, mm. with telling the story of how the grandmother's involvement in football. I mean, what a what a beautifully simple human story. And it's interesting that the tech brands, I think, recognise that humanity and realness and emotion are what drives us much more than 
algorithms and tech and upgrades. Yeah, that's really interesting. Uh, something on my mind is there's this American social scientist called Jonathan Haidt who's written a bunch of really interesting books, and he says, you know, about this digital, about the digital world that you know it's like the connections are sort of you get the sense that you're sort of having relationships and building connections, but without any of the nourishment. And I think that's sort of a very interesting takeaway. Yeah, and there's, I mean, it's that great film Her from a few years ago, right? Which it might be a scary prophecy of the world to come, but um, but yeah, I think I think the realness is is always going to be critical. Now, for brands, yeah, there's a bunch of times when I don't want to have to go to a real bank branch, and I don't want to have to go to yeah, to right. something that I don't want to have to go to a real supermarket. I just want it done for me really easily. So I think it's about understanding what is the right time to have the digital interaction, what's the right time to have the physical. Yeah, that's fascinating. Um, Simon, I want to move on to the quick fire round. And I want to start with a question, which is what is your favorite marketing campaign of all time? Okay. So my favorite marketing campaign of all time would be the work that Wyden and Kennedy Portland did for KFC over a number of years. I don't know the exact years, but it was, uh, I mean, just the most fantastic collection of work from a brand experience point of view as well. I mean, the, the advertising was absolutely amazing nailed everything from kind of all the product stuff that you'd want all of the kind of the rational proof points but just done in the most brilliantly emotional funny way totally modernized the brand but then they also went off and just did crazy collaborations and you know look they did like kind of road trip cassettes for your car and you know they they just did they released a fashion range they did comic Hmm. books featuring colonel sanders and so just as a collection work, it was just, just brilliant. I encourage everyone to go and look at it. It's amazing. I'll dig that out and put the link in the, um, in the notes. So, you know, obviously, you know, we've talked a little bit about this idea of owning the moment. That's obviously the name of this show, something we're really excited about here. You know, what's the best example of a brand that you've seen sort of own the moment? Obviously, the Virgin Middle Seat Lottery, I think, is a fantastic example of that. Um, can you think of any others? Um, there's, you know, the Super Bowl is always obviously good fodder for this sort of stuff with, um, you know, likes of what Oreos did a few years ago with the lights out. Yeah, I would ha- I'd have to have a think about that. I mean, I think there's those kind of real-time acts of, you know, reactions to what's going on in the real world are often quite good. Um, but I'll have to I'll have to pass on answering that one right now, I'm afraid. Right. I think that, right, that's actually a really good point. It's like, it's that sort of quick reaction to the to the moment is, you know, that feels like a really solid one. What's the most overrated trend in marketing right now? Oh man. I mean, this industry has, I mean, it's defined by uh, overrated trends. I feel sometimes Um, (laughs) uh, it's, it's a, that's a very hard question to answer. I mean, I'm tempted to say chat GPT and and mid journey, Mm. but I also recognize that those, though, there are hugely powerful things that are going to completely transform, you know, how, how we, how we live. So I don't, it probably isn't overrated. It's, I think the the challenge in our industry is we sometimes latch onto these things without, and it takes our eye off the ball of what is important, which are some of the more fundamentals and some of the, you know, the things that have been proven to work. We have a real uh, desire to kind of grab the new and go with it. But, um, you know, I know that my family down, you know, in Geelong, who are who are more like everyone in Australia than I am, they're not going to be particularly bothered about ChatGPT or um or Mid Journey. They just want to know that a brand is going to do what it says and give them something at a good price. 
So I think the less we focus on those trends, the more we focus on the fundamentals is important. Yeah. And I think that I, I, I sense what you're going to answer the next question with, which is, you know, what is the opposite? What's the tactic that, you know, we're not talking about that we, you know, should be talking about, I guess, underrated is maybe a, a way to frame that question. Yeah. Okay. I don't know. I think that, yeah, I mean, it's, it follows on from the last answer. I think not changing is a good tactic for marketing, branding and advertising. I think, uh, I don't mean never change. I don't mean become stuck doing things that aren't working, but I think resist the urge to change for change's sake, resist the urge to just blindly chase the new or, uh, or, or do something completely different because there's been three articles about it. I think brands, again, back to this thing about people, uh, you know, the best people are those who are, if not consistent, at least coherent. They, you know who they are over time. You know who they are in different environments. Um, so I think resist the urge to just change for change's sake. Mm, I think that's a, a, a great answer. And I think, you know, going back to Nike and that whole, you know, finding your voice and sticking to it. I mean, that for me, you know, feels like a, a brand that, you know, I guess it just hasn't, I mean, I know that, you know, tactics, channels, tools, you know, of course that stuff, but, but really sort of in my lifetime, I can't think of any real huge change in their platform, you know, just do it has been there forever. And, you know, they find new ways to reinvent that, obviously. And Apple, I think, is probably another good example of a brand that really sort of, you know, again, the sort of, I mean, I'm reminded of that sort of Mark Ritson quote, which is, you know, the sort of marketing never really changes. It's the the tools and the tactics change, but the fundamentals have been the same for a hundred years and probably will be the same in a hundred years. So last question, Simon, who is the most interesting marketer and or brand in the world right now? Yeah, I probably don't know, I don't know individual marketers too much. I think, I mean, I'm always drawn to, it's very easy, I think, to look at a small brand and think that they are the most interesting, but it's kind of easy to be interesting when you're smaller, I think. I think it's those big brands who are doing interesting things. So um, brands like, uh, you know, the Visa in New York, who've done an awful lot of you know, really impactful and compelling work through McCann, New York over there. Uh, I think they're, they're kind of consistently kind of interesting. I think, you know, Maccas globally in different markets around the world, clearly, and, and in Australia with all the work we do with Maccas as well, they're very, you know, they are, are such a, a marketing team globally at the top of their game. Uh, and you can see that in the output um, that comes out. Yeah, brands like Aldi, I think, possibly a bit smaller, but, um, but you know, have, have kind of shown again in multiple markets, even with different agencies, how they have a very true sense of who they are uh, and what they should do. I think there is some interesting movement in marketing, you know, particularly from, say, Airbnb, who, you know, very famously and publicly mm. have turned, dialed back on the performance marketing and moved more into the reinvestment in brand. Um, I'm very encouraged by that because I'm, you know, I've got a very strong belief in the power of brands and I think it's it's been downplayed over the last few years. And I think seeing a brand like that, which is a very modern tech-based digital brand, um, recognizing the value that investing in brand over performance can have, um, I think that makes them very interesting because it is counter-trend and counter-cultural. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. A couple of things there. I totally agree on, you know, McDonald's. I think one of the things speaking about that difference between small and big brands, you know, I loved that campaign they ran a few years ago, which was, you know, big enough to make a difference. And I think that was obviously in the context of, of plant-based and, and, and um, you know, reducing emissions. And I think that was just, I mean, that's such a beautiful tagline. Aldi, completely agree. A plug for the podcast I had Jamie Pete on from McCann, Manchester. How lovely is Jamie? He's a really, he's great, isn't he? 
Yeah, he's brilliant. And that was a, a great episode. So definitely go and listen to that if you want to dig into the, the Aldi story. Simon, thank you so much for being on the show. This was a, a real pleasure. Great. Thanks for having me, James. And um, look forward to seeing you again soon. Thanks for listening to the On The Moment podcast. If you liked this episode, make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss upcoming episodes. And to suggest a guest or provide feedback, please visit our dedicated podcast hub at ownthemomentpod.com.